I'm a little bit sore this morning. I'm going to tell you why. See, winter storm Yuri did some damage. Now, please understand, I'm not complaining. I am not whining because I know that the damage I'm going to talk about, it, it really is very minimal in comparison to what many people suffered and endured. And I feel for you. I really do. If you had to repair broken pipes or drywall in your home, or you had to clean up wet, sopping insulation from your floor, if you had to replace items in your home that were destroyed, I feel for you. And you can relate to what I'm going to talk about on an even higher level. Now, the damage that the winter storm did for us was to our hedges. And we had these uh, row of these really tall, big bushes, uh, about eight of them that were growing up in our backyard uh, against our fence line. And apparently, they did not take too kindly to the cold. Now, there might have been life left in them, but they looked awful. They looked awful. Those vibrant green leaves, I mean, they had turned to this dirty brown. They shriveled up as if they were convulsing in pain. And it smelled of death. I mean, literally, they, there was this aroma of rot that reeked up our backyard from these bushes. And so we gave up on them. And so over the last couple of weekends, I was out there, I, I pruned off all the little branches, I hacked away at the bigger ones, at the trunks, and I ripped those things out of the ground, and I condemned them to the curb and the hydraulic compaction of the garbage truck and the utter abandonment of a landfill. I gave up on them. It might have had life left in them. There's maybe a little bit of green left in the thicker parts. But when we looked at them, there didn't seem to be any hope. When you look at your soul, what do you see? Is there hope there? Because there's a force that much stronger than winter storm Yuri that has swept across your soul and it has come to inflict damage. It has come to, to drive deeply into your heart and soul the decay and the stench of sin to cause that stench to flare up into the nostrils of your God. And so if God were to look at your soul... Should he give up on it? Should you? Today we're, we're going to get some encouragement from God's word. We're going to get some encouragement, not just from the famous last words of our Savior Jesus, but from the famous last words of those two criminals who were crucified next to him. The time that those men spent on the cross, it afforded them some introspection. They could take a deep look at their souls. And as hardened criminals who were receiving the very worst of punishments, the absolute worst condemnation to be crucified 
it's safe for us to assume that those souls, they were pretty dark, disgusting. One of those criminals hurled insults at Jesus. He said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And there's deep sarcasm and mockery that you can sense in that statement, right? And this, this criminal, he, he knew it was the end. He knew that death was coming to claim him. There was nothing that he could do about that anymore. Except for steal away some sick and twisted humor in the final moments of his life. To lash out in, in anger. He knew that in a few hours his cold, lifeless corpse would be ripped off of that cross to be thrown into a garbage heap. And so what was there left to do? His body was condemned, and as far as his soul, well, that he had lost a long time ago. He had given up on his soul. Have you ever met someone like that? Someone who seems to have given up on their soul? And maybe you can sense it in just their constant frustration, the, the anger, the, the way that they live their life. For that, the, the other criminal, he rebuked him. And he said, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. The fear of God seemed to be completely absent from that first criminal as he mocked and, and rebuked in Jesus. But this other criminal, a criminal of the same caliber with a soul just as dark, just as ugly, just as disgusting, and yet he still had a fear of God, this, this reverence and awe, and yes, even terror that he had offended his holy God. Which is remarkable because we hear in the biographies that Matthew and Mark wrote about Jesus that this criminal too had been part of the mocking that took place. That fear of God had been absent in his heart earlier in the day as well. What changed? It was a remarkable change. Even a, a miraculous change in his heart. That brought about, once again, that fear and that reverence for God. Yet, was there any way that God could forgive a man such as he? You know, hardened criminals, they usually kind of maintain their innocence, even when they know that that's a bold-faced lie. And yet you see the truth of this man's fear of God, this, this reverence, and the humble confession that he makes. Because he goes on to say this, he says, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He owns the deep moral failings of his life. He owns up to the violence that had invaded and pervaded his heart and soul. He recognized that everything, all, all the pain, all the suffering that he was enduring there on that cross, it was warranted. It was just. It was the punishment that he deserved. He didn't try to cover up his guilt, deflect away from it, or lash out in anger. He simply admitted it. 
admitted the guilt that was on his heart. That brought about his death, a just death that he knew was just hours away. He understood and he knew that he could could not do anything to save himself. He was utterly helpless. Death. Coming soon. And really, death could be coming soon for any one of us here today, couldn't it? We just don't know. Which makes that question that that criminal asked a very important question for us. Don't you fear God? Don't you desire to live with that reverence and that awe for your God? Don't you even desire to have that that terror in your heart that you might do anything that would offend his holiness? Don't you desire to worship and praise him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul? Don't you desire that your reverence for Christ would lead you to flee anything that would trivialize what he had done for you? on that tree. Don't you fear God? And we would say, yes, I do. But our actions demonstrate differently, don't they? Our actions demonstrate differently that we too are guilty. We too ought to be under the same sentence. We have to admit that we would be utterly helpless to save ourselves, that there is nothing that we could do, that really it's laughable to think of a notion where we might escape ourselves, where we might come down and avoid condemnation. My my bushes, the hedges, they, they might have survived. There was a chance But when it comes to our lives and our souls, sin doesn't just damage, it destroys and it kills. Our hearts and our souls, apart from Christ, they are spiritually dead. There is nothing that we can do. We cannot save ourselves. All that we can do is turn to Jesus. And in an act of faith-inspired courage, that's exactly what this criminal did. He turned to Jesus. The impossible had happened. His heart had changed. It had changed his view of God, and now he appealed to divine mercy. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That criminal, he said something there at the cross that no one else around the cross was saying. He said that he believed that Jesus truly was a king. He believed that Jesus truly was a righteous, innocent, holy man. He believed that Jesus truly was the Christ. And you hear that from no one else around that cross. We have no record of anyone else standing up to to defend Jesus, to proclaim him as Savior, except this criminal. 
He uses his given name, Jesus. That name that means he saves. Coming from the lips of a man who desperately needed to be saved. And he asked Jesus to remember him. When Jesus would come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, he asked that Jesus would remember him. Remember him not for some great act that he had done. Remember him not because he had defended Jesus there on that cross. No, simply to remember him because of Jesus' own mercy and grace. And in Jesus' answer, he gives a massive, beautiful promise. An incredible promise. He turns to this criminal and he says, I tell you the truth. As in, grab hold of this and never let it go. Allow these words to comfort you in the final hours of your life. Keep them in mind. Listen to them. Don't listen to the mockers. Don't listen to your own mind or your own heart. Don't listen to anything else but these words. Because these words that I speak to you, these words are truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What an incredible promise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And my friends, this is a promise that Jesus makes to you as well. Today, how beautiful that word today. Jesus turned to this man, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today, not, not someday. Not after you've paid off your debt to the society. Not after you have made good on your promises. Not after you have committed to this life. Not after you have, you know, I've had time to evaluate and judge you and see that you've come far enough along and now you're worthy. No, today you will be with me in paradise. An incredible promise from God. And a promise that's based on what Jesus did. Now Jesus, he could have escaped that condemnation, right? He could have come down from the cross, but he didn't. Jesus was a king, but he lived as if he was not. He lived in humble service to us. He gave this promise, not just a a memory, but a, a real promise that he would be there. That through faith in him, he had paradise. And for you as well, through faith in Jesus, you have paradise. God's incredible gift to you. And what a striking contrast to what was taking place in that moment, right? What a striking contrast to the pain and the suffering, the cruelty of the cross. Today you will be in paradise a place of eternal bliss and joy. A promise that you can hold dear as the truth. A joyous promise, and that's the joy of the gospel. That's why we we thrive on more joy than guilt. Our guilt, yes, it's real. 
But Jesus' grace and mercy is also real and it is far more powerful. His mercy that he forgives our sins. You know that the criminal, he may not even have realized how profound his statement when he said that Jesus had done nothing wrong. Not just that he hadn't committed any criminal acts, but Jesus never was out of line. He, he never did anything that it was even slightly inappropriate. He, he never crossed over any lines. So that as he gave his life, it could truly count for ours, could truly redeem our vileness and our sin. And so there is an incredible juxtaposition that this criminal recognized. Jesus, that holy, righteous, innocent man, suffering for the crimes, the likes of which he had committed. But that's just it, isn't it? Jesus did suffer for the crimes he committed. He, he suffered for the crimes that that other criminal committed. He suffered for the crimes that you and I committed. This was his act to save us, to bring us into paradise. And so with this promise, God assures you that he has not given up on your soul. He never gave up on your soul. No one is too far gone. No one is too guilty. No one's heart and soul is too disgusting for Jesus to reach and forgive. Instead, he seeks to perform a miracle and transform your heart and soul with his promises. If Jesus didn't give up on this criminal and Jesus hasn't given up on you, then Jesus doesn't give up on the people that you know in your life either. Don't give up on those people. Don't give up on your friends your family. Don't give up on those people that you live, who, who maybe live, that you meet, who maybe live as if they have given up on themselves. Don't give up on them. Even if there's never been any indication in their life whatsoever that they would ever trust in Jesus, that they would ever believe what you're telling them, don't give up on them. Even if with their dying breaths, they're mocking Jesus, until that last breath is gone, don't give up on them. Because God doesn't. He gives us that promise that his word works. His word is powerful. Don't give up on them, but give them an introduction to Jesus. Make sure that that powerful word of God, it is spoken with faith-inspired courage. Declare that Jesus is their Savior. My hedges, they're done. They're gone. I made sure of it because I gave up on them. God did not give up on your soul. He has not given up on the souls of others in your life. Don't give up. 
but rather return and turn to Jesus to hear his incredible promises, the promises that give a powerful hope of paradise opened through the forgiveness of sins. Amen.